Good morning, everybody. How are you guys? So today I have a special guest in the audience. It's my mama. Hi, mom. <laughs> mama, you just wave, please. Okay, that's my mom. I love her. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Anywho, so uh, last week we I talked about uh, the theology of the Holy Spirit and why that's important. It is important because how we conceive of a thing or a person is how we are going to interact that. We're gonna, how are we going to allow that, whatever, that thing, that person, that movement, that theology, that philosophy to impact our life? And so that's why we are studying this. I read you guys quotes last, last week about how most evangelical Christian churches conceive of the Holy Spirit as just, is just kind of like a good vibes from God. And we, we know so little about who the Holy Spirit is and how he functions. And so that's why it's important to get a full picture. I'm kind of laying the, the land, laying lay the land, the, the groundwork for the rest of the service so that when we study, we're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I get that. Okay, we're building on this. <clears throat> so today, you know, last week we talked about um, that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is part of the Godhead. He's not just like an offshoot of God. Today, we're going to kick things off with something really exciting. <laughs> it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might go, that's not exciting. Why are we talking about it? Because we have a lot of Christians that are like, oh, I, I think I blasphemed the Holy Spirit in my sleep. Or how do you, like, we live in fear, right? And we're like, oh, I think I swore and I accidentally blasphemed the Holy Spirit. What is it? Once we know something, we have power over it, and it has the power to empower us. So that's why we're going to look into this. Okay, let us look at Matthew 12, 22 through 32. We have it up on the screen too. This is Jesus interacting with the, uh, the Pharisees. So he's, he's he, you know, and at this point, um, he's getting close to going to the cross. So his interactions with the Pharisees become less and less cordial, and he he's becomes more blunt with what he says. So this is one of those cases. Okay, so then they, it's the group, people, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, now notice, who's saying this? Is it the Pharisees in 23? No, it is the people. That's going to be key in a second. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David. Notice the people call Jesus what Jesus did. They call him the son of David, okay? 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, that's Satan, the prince of demons, that this fellow, notice they call him this fellow, they don't call him the son of David, drives out demons. <laughs> Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. <clears throat> if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? So basically, they're like, Jesus, you were able to cast this demon out because, you know, it's like, it's like a parlor trick, right? You're casting out somebody that's a part of you. So you're Satan, and Satan's casting out Satan. Big deal. Big deal, Jesus. Okay. And he's like, well, let's use logic on this, folks. Okay, 27. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So Jesus is just kind of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. They're like, okay, well, if I, if I align myself with Satan, who do you align yourselves with? So then they will be your judges, 28. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus in 28 just says... He's not mincing words. He's like, I know who I'm driving out these demons with. It is by the power of God. And he is making the claim right there to say, I am God. Okay. So 29. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first tries up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. 
Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Can we go back to 31, please? Thank you. Okay, now, now look. Here's what we're going to... Let's look at this. And so I tell you, this is Jesus. And he's like, listen up. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Except what? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what's going on? It's almost like Jesus is saying like contradictory things, right? So let's get into the text here. What is it saying? All right. Let's think about this. And where, what's key is I think we get so interested in, in figuring out... Um, what is this unforgivable sin that won't be forgiven? And we rush past all the other verses that we just read. But those other verses are key to figuring this out. And sorry, can we go to 32? Notice Jesus says, you can speak stuff against the Son of Man, and it's okay. It will be forgiven you. What? Who says that? But against my spirit, it won't be forgiven. What's going on? Funny you should ask. Okay. Notice, now, at this point, Jesus and the Pharisees have been going toe-to-toe. They're like the paparazzi of the day. Except they're not there to take pictures and write about it in the gossip mags. They're trying to trap Jesus so they can kill him. So they have their little, you know, stone tablets or papyrus papers, and they're taking notes. They're like, oh, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Okay. It's a bad mark against him. All right, Jesus did this, okay. Oh, he touched an, uh, a leper, unclean, check. So they're following him around. This is a culmination of like years. And they're, they've been following him around and they're like, Jesus did this and this and this, okay. But they have also witnessed all of his miracles. They've been front and center to seeing the power of God at work. Okay. So when Jesus, and then what do they say? Notice in uh, 23, what did they say? The people say, who, who, who does Jesus, what power does he operate from? Remember? Son of David. Okay, that is, that is key because the people, the crowd recognizes that Jesus is the culmination of the law. He is, he is it. All the laws that they've been keeping, washing your hands five times before you eat this, not eating this kind of animal, making sure your meat and your dairy don't touch. It's all because of Jesus. And the people get it, which is interesting. They're not the educated ones, but they get it. The ones that miss it are the Pharisees. What do they, they call, in 24, they call Jesus basically Satan's spawn. <laughs> Whoa. And so it's at this point, a couple of verses later, that Jesus says, you can speak bad stuff about me, but when you start speaking bad against the Holy Spirit, woe to you. That cannot be forgiven. So maybe you're saying, well, does that mean if I say, Holy Spirit, you're, you're, you quack like a duck and you're ugly? Does that, does that leave you out of heaven? No. What is going on here is that the Pharisees have developed such a hard heart. They have an impenetrable heart. They have been in the midst of seeing Jesus doing amazing miracles. He fed the 5,000. I mean, they're in, they're in the middle of it. They see everything. And yet, they have hard hearts. They're like, we don't believe. This is, a, this is like a parlor trick. This is Satan. Satan's doing all this. Okay? So they completely miss it. And so it's at this point that Jesus says, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, can we go to that verse? I think it's 32. Or 31, 31, sorry, just kidding. 31. Yes. Okay, so the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, this is what it is. The work of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to get into in the next point, is making sure that the adoption, when we say, when we accept Jesus into our heart, we say, Jesus, I love you, I want you to be Lord of my life. Okay, so we, take, we step from being under the old Adam, okay, because Adam blew it, right? So our spiritual DNA is jacked up, right? 
So we step from there to being under the new Adam, which is Jesus. So we have new life, and our spiritual DNA gets rewritten, okay? So the spirit comes into our hearts and seals the deal, basically, and says, you, stamp, you, you are going to be a new person in Christ. You are going to heaven. You get to stand on a different line now. <laughs> You're under the new Adam, okay? Now. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to deny that work and to have such a hard heart that you say, no, I'm not going to let you seal me in Christ. I refuse. I will not submit. And this is what we see going on with the Pharisees. The Pharisees become either more entrenched at this point. They're like, we're going to wash our hands not five times. We'll do it 50 times. We're going to be better at the law. We're going to double up on the law. We're going to do it ourselves. And they miss the point, which is you cannot do it by yourself. You need the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what it is. It is to deny the work of the Spirit. So let me, let me have this, this, this cheesy little explanation here. So let's say these are the Pharisees, okay? And they're made to receive the truth. Okay, it's a vase, and I have saran wrap on top of it. Right? And so Jesus, in this instance, right, he's trying to talk to them. He's like, I am God. I'm in your midst. All these rules, Levitical law, you keeping everything, you washing your hands 50 times and wearing your shoes like this and doing this and keeping your food separate on the plate and not eating these animals, I am the fulfillment of that. I have arrived. It's grace now, not law. But the Pharisees reject that. And in rejecting that, they reject the work of the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens, right? Jesus is like, I'm trying to pour into you guys. Can't you receive it? They're like, no, we're not going to accept it. We reject it. We reject it. We reject it. And so the, instead of Jesus pouring into them and them receiving the Holy Spirit, when you put saran wrap on something, there's no way for it to absorb in unless you poke holes. It is like sealed tight. And this is the point Jesus is making in this. He's like, you Pharisees have such a hard heart. There is no penetrating that. Remember when um, Moses goes before Pharaoh and it says that he had a hard heart? That's the kind of hard heart that we're looking at with these Pharisees. They're like, nope, not going to do it. Sorry. I know we witnessed God casting demons, or Jesus casting demons out and healing people and giving people back their sight and all this stuff and multiplying and feeding 5,000 people from a few loaves and fishes, but we reject it. It's the work of Satan. There is a point at which we can develop such a hard heart. This is for non-believers where God has been working on us and wooing us and speaking to us, and the Holy Spirit's been knocking at our door. And Jesus has been doing miracles around us in our midst. We're like, nope, not going to do it, not going to bite, no thanks. And so at a certain point, God goes, all right, you made your decision. Because that is kind of at the core of redemption, is that we have to be able to want it and freely choose it. It's not like, okay, I'm going to pretend like I'm giving you an option as God. It's really two choice A's, but I'm going to make it look like choice A and choice B. No, there is real choice. And God says, you get to make the choice. Do you accept me into your hearts, into your lives, or will you shut me out? And each one of us gets to make that choice. And I hope you know where you stand and that there are no surprises when you, when you, you know, pass from this world to the next. <clears throat> All right, let's move on. So the second point that we're looking at today with the Holy Spirit is it's the three S's. It's salvation, being sealed, and sanctification. Okay, so salvation, being sealed, and sanctification. Okay, salvation refers to the act of God's grace in delivering us from the bondage of Satan. Okay, Adam and Eve curses on them, and they took a bite 
It wasn't an apple, by the way. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. When they bit the fruit, right, God's like, have a blast, enjoy everything, just don't get into this tree, right? And Satan comes, right, to Eve and says, you got to try this. This is good. She's like, oh, okay. And then she gives it to her husband, and it's all downhill from there. Okay, so the world is broken. God owns the land here. But it's like Satan's become this, like, horrible landlord who's, like, trashing everything. He's, like, punching holes in the walls. He's, you know, letting random, he's, like, letting rodents come in and hang out and all this stuff, right? So he's, he's destroyed the earth. He doesn't own it. Jesus owns it. Okay, so here's my point. Jesus then comes to our hearts, and he's like, accept me. We say, okay. So it's a one-time thing where the Holy Spirit comes in and he becomes, the, God becomes the Lord of our life, okay? It's a one-time thing. You don't have to keep doing it over and over and over and over. And then we, remember I talked about moving from Adam, the old Adam, under the new Adam. So we have new spiritual DNA, okay? We're not the same broken people that we were when we were standing over here. We become new people, Okay? All right, so that is salvation. And uh, let us look at John 3, 1 through 8, which talks about this. And there were some Pharisees, by the way, who got, who got this. One of them was Nicodemus. And he just, you can tell by his interaction with Jesus that he gets it. All right. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with you. Contrast that with what we just read when the other Pharisees were like, you're doing this stuff because you're fueled by Satan. Nicodemus gets who Jesus is. Okay, so verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, which seems like a fair question. If you're having this interaction with Jesus, right, and you're, you're like, I can't, I can't be born again, like I'm already born, right? So, okay. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. So fair question, fair question. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. So once again, Holy Spirit, Jesus died, like, so God the Father had this plan for redemption, right, after the fall, after Adam and Eve blew it. Jesus comes and does this work on the cross, right? Romans talks about how he redeemed all the world, okay? He gives everybody the choice now to go to heaven, or they can choose to go to hell. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit's part, remember last week I talked about how the, the Holy Spirit is like, the kinship, the connectivity between humanity and the Godhead. So the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and seals the deal with salvation and says, yes, you are going to heaven. You are a new person now. You are a new creation. All right, let's move on to this idea of sealing. They go say, what? What's sealing? What is this about? Is there leaky plumbing? No. <laughs> Let's look at this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 21. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This says pledge. Uh, let's also look at Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It is in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Okay, so here's the deal. This whole idea of seal this seal thing has like, a, imagine a prism, okay? This language here has a couple of different dimensions, which I'm going to get into, so hang with me. When we are sealed in Christ, um, in the ancient world, when you sent something, let's say I was sending an important letter 
from here to, let's say, Santa Barbara, okay? I would get wax, I would get my royal emissary, I'd say, I need you to take this post-haste to the other queen in this other kingdom. And I would get wax, and I'd drip it on the letter, and I'd seal it, and then I'd get my signet ring, and I'd stamp it on there, and it would seal it, but have my seal on it. It says, basically, this is from the house of Mako, don't open it, or your fingers will be broken, okay? That gets sealed, and it is carried to the other kingdom over by Santa Barbara. And then they get it, and they open it, and they break the seal. Now, if the seal is closed, that's an indication that nobody else has messed with it, right? It was a, a direct point from point A to point B. Nobody else got into it. And that's kind of the idea behind us being sealed in Christ. Once, it's like, a, it's like a, almost like a spiritual waterproofing. You guys have seen those commercials, those infomercials where they, the guy takes the screen or he has like a, you know, he's on a boat or something. He takes the screen. He's like, I forgot what it's called. It's like super seal or something. I don't know. But he sprays his screen and he sticks it in the water and it, it, it doesn't leak. It's like a regular screen and it, it doesn't leak at all. There's no water they can get through. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He seals us up on the inside. He makes us watertight spiritually. Okay, so that's one aspect of this idea of sealing. The other idea, too, which is kind of along these lines, is to make sure that we, we get sent to the right person, so to speak. Once the Spirit fills us up inside, nothing else can take possession of us. We have sealed our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get into this later about how the Holy Spirit is a seal, but he also acts as a counselor. He's kind of like our spiritual warrior that we carry on the inside of us. And that sealing helps us to deflect arrows that come our way. The Holy Spirit's just like, no, I'm going to battle those arrows. I'm going to fight them off. Okay, so that's another aspect of the sealing. All right, let us move on to the other Yes. Okay, and sorry, the one, the other, the other aspect of this ceiling, which is critical, is this idea of a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit gets put into our hearts, right? And we get sealed up. But it's like that's only the down payment. Okay, I've shared with you guys I like to shop a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot. And sometimes... Um, you know, you do layaway, right? You're like, I want to buy all these 50 pairs of shoes plus the 50 matching bags and then the 50 matching outfits. But I don't have that much money. So I'm going to do layaway, right? Layaway, you agree to pay a portion of what you owe. And you say, I'll come back in 30 days and pay the balance off. Or sometimes you forget that and then you forgo stuff. Okay, which I've done before. Okay. That's how it works here with the Holy Spirit and with God. God's like, I'm putting my Holy Spirit in your heart. He's the down payment. I'm coming back to get you, and we're going to hang out in heaven forever. But until that time, this is my down payment. This is a guarantee that I will come back and get you, I promise. Sometimes um, the gym we work out, sometimes Josh and I will forget, like, if we want to play racquetball, we'll forget our racket. And so what you go, what you do is you can go up to the front desk and you can say, I need a racket because I forgot my racket. And they're like, okay. So you have to give them either your driver's license or your car keys. Two very valuable things. <laughs> and so you give it to them. And that guarantees that you will come back and return the racket. Because you've made a very valuable down payment. It is like that with the Holy Spirit. And like God is saying, I have not forgotten you. I'm not leaving you alone. I will come back and get you. This is only the down payment, but this, is, this, this seals the deal pretty much. This is as good as done. All right. Now, the next portion of what we're going to talk about, um, we're going to look at John 14, 26 through, or 16 through 26. But before we do that, I want us to watch a skit. So we're going to have Zeke Ward come up. Is Bell Ward and Tamara Skinner. And they're going to do this little skit for us about how the Holy Spirit functions in our life. 
Okay, so if you've tuned out up to this point, I want you to put your, just, if you get anything from today, thank you guys, that was great. Let's do one more round of applause, because they're awesome. Thank you guys. If you have tuned out maybe, because you're like, yeah, I get salvation, I get how that works, okay, I'm not interested in sealing, okay, anyways. If you tune in to anything that I say, please listen to this part, and here's why. Let's actually, let's read John 14, 16 through 26. I know that's a chunk. We're only going to focus on a couple of the verses, but. And I will ask the Father. Now, remember, at this point, Jesus, his disciples are kind of, they're devastated, right? Because Jesus resurrected, or he, first of all, he goes to the cross and he dies. He doesn't pull any miracles on the cross. He's not like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. He dies on the cross. They take his body down. They take him to the grave, Right? And then they can't find the body. For a Jewish person, that is just like, that is like adding insult to injury, to not find the body. Where's the body? We need to properly prepare it and, and, and bury it. And it's not, there's no body there to bury what, right? So all this is going on, and then Jesus reappears to the disciples, and they're like, yay, we win on a high note, right? And Jesus is like, guess what? I'm here for 40 days and then I'm going to be gone. Can you imagine emotionally what they've been going through? They're like, what? First of all, you said you're the king, you're the Messiah, new kingdom, and then you die on the cross and you leave us. We're screwing around like cockroaches. What's going on? And then you resurrect and you're like, I'm here, but just for a little bit. Well, what kind of sick game are you playing with us, Jesus? What's going on? And Jesus tells them this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, remember, that's the, that's, that's the idea that it's another of the same kind. Remember? Jesus saying, here, I'm this one type of counselor, and when I leave, I'm going to leave you with another of the same kind, the Holy Spirit. Okay. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show him or show myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, so not the one who betrayed him, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. <coughs> All this I have spoken while with you. But the counselor, here's that word again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Okay, I know that was a long passage, but it was important to lay it out. Well, what's going on here? I think a lot of times when we look at this, first of all, the different versions have different words for counselor. Some of you, your, your scripture, your, your version might say helper or comforter, right? And so we hear that and we think maybe, oh, the Holy Spirit's like a nice, warm, fuzzy blanket, right? Or maybe he's somebody that we lay down on the couch of life and we're like, oh, he's like, how do you feel? How does that make you feel, right? Or maybe we think of a camp counselor, it's like, come on, let's go on the canoe trip. This will be fun. Come on, you'll like it. We'll do s'mores afterwards. This will be great, right? That's not the type of counselor that we're talking about. In the Greek, there's this word, parakletos, okay? Now hang with me here. Parakletos has this idea, this connotation of being like a, um, like a legal warrior, somebody that's going to be a legal warrior and stand up for your rights. Okay, now we're going to break the word down some more. Para, P-A-R-A, 
means that somebody who walks not in front of you, not behind you, but somebody that walks right next to you. Okay, I had a little back procedure done a couple of weeks ago, right? And so, because I was still woozy from the anesthesia and my back hurt like heck, Josh helped me get from the car to our house and put me on the couch, the bed, I forgot which. But he had to come, put his arm around me, and support me. He had a firm grip on me. So if I went down, he'd catch me. Right? And there was no, he wasn't like doing like this. It wasn't a gingerly like, oh, I'm going to hold you. It was just like, I got you. If you go down, I got you. That is the idea behind para here. Okay? Now, let's look at kletos here. It's this idea of calling or destiny. Paul uses it when he talks about, I am called to be a disciple. Okay? So it's this idea of like, uh, like a compulsion to do something. This is what I have been, I am, I am compelled to do. Okay? I feel compelled to do this. And it's not like I feel compelled to eat all of the Oreos or I need to eat a dozen mini donuts. It's idea of, of, of calling and kind of like vocation. Okay? So you put the two together, and it's this idea that the Holy Spirit is called to be our advocate inside of us, a legal advocate. But wait, it gets better. Okay, so, so on one side, we have the soft side, this counselor who is inside of us, who speaks comfort to us, who's our biggest cheerleader, not to be disrespectful, but he's like, you got this, you're okay, like we saw with Zeke and uh, Tamara and Isabella, Right? And so this counselor sometimes will be like, we hear things. People will say things to us and we'll be like, oh, that hurts. And the Holy Spirit's just like, pew, pew, pew. We're shooting off those darts of painful things. We're not taking it. And then sometimes he protects us against ourself. Like tomorrow when she was like, oh, I am these things. I did just get a C. I'm a loser. Because sometimes that's the biggest enemy is ourselves, isn't it? We internalize stuff. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is like, oh, walking alongside you? I got you. I'm not letting you down. And sometimes the Holy Spirit stages an intervention with us because we're like, I can't do this. I suck. I'm horrible. I don't know what I was thinking, and I stepped out to do this in faith, and, you know, whatever. Or maybe it's just something more basic, like I'm a crappy mom. I told you guys last week I forgot to pick up my daughter. (laughs) And the school tried to call me not once, but five times. And my, my phone was on vibrate, and I was just like at Costco shopping. So I wasn't doing anything super fun. I was just like trying to do grocery shopping. I was like, oh my gosh. And it was like a half an hour past when they let her out. And I just got my day switched. Anyways, it was bad. So I was like, oh, I'm such a bad mom, right? So every, we all have these moments. I don't know, maybe you guys don't. Maybe you're, you got it more together than I do, but I was just like, oh. Okay, so what the Holy Spirit does, or maybe it's something more. Maybe God's called you to something. Maybe God's put a call on your heart and said, I need you to step out and have faith. I need you to step out in boldness in this area. I know it's crazy, but I need you to do this. And we're like, no, I can't do this. That's just not me. I don't do that. I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. I don't do stuff like this, right? But the Holy Spirit defends us against ourselves sometimes. Pastor Larry has said this over and over and over again. God is more interested not in our comfort, but into our becoming more Christ-like than anything. It's not that he wants us to live miserable lives and for us to be like, oh, I'm just carrying my cross. Life sucks, but I'm carrying my cross, living for Jesus. God is interested in our joy not our happiness. God's not a tyrant. He won't be like, suck it up. I don't care. (laughs) But God wants us to to resemble his son. He wants there to be a family resemblance. And sometimes that means going through hard times. Josh and I watched, um, we watched MMA (laughs) last night, or was the night before. And uh, I was just, I was amazed. Like, these guys, this was their, they were in round five, I guess. 
these men were, ex and it, this is not like the glamorous, like, action sequences that you see in action flicks, right? Like, these men are deadlocked, and they're sweating, and they're bloody, and they're barely breathing because they're so exhausted. And they're trying to do these little movements because that's all the energy they've got. And they're just like, there's sweat on the floor, and they're just panting so hard because they're exhausted. And they're just, you can see it in their eyes and their breath. It's sharp and ragged, and they're just like, and they're kind of static with each other, and they're trying to throw punches, right? Nobody's getting the upper hand. That's how it is with the Holy Spirit with us. Tim Keller calls the Holy Spirit how he functions as our counselor or helper, a friend with teeth. He'll go to the mat with us when he needs to. A good Old Testament example of this, remember, is when God called Moses to go speak to Pharaoh, right? And up until this point, you know, Moses took 40 years, he was a shepherd, and he just disappeared <laughs> into the countryside, just took care of cattle, sheep. And then God calls him, he's like, now's the time, I need you to go set my people free. And Moses comes up with a litany of reasons why he can't do this. Which I have to say, if I went, if God was like, um, I want you, I'm going to have you go from doing potty training with your daughter, and I want you to go be a representative on Capitol Hill, I'd be like, what are you talking about, God? I, I'm still in, like, giving Sophia points for, like, I mean, she's obviously potty trained now, but this is when she was potty trained. Like, if God was like, okay, you're potty trained now, but this is what I want you to do. And that's kind of, actually, that kind of happened. I was potty training Sophia. We're watching Dora the Explorer. And we, we've got a little Elmo potty thing in our, in our bathroom, right? And we're just working on, like, the reward system. And somehow it's not clicking, and I'm just frustrated. And God's like, I want you to lead. I want you to start up a college group at church. And I went toe-to-toe -to -toe with God for a long time. I was like, you don't understand. My vocabulary in my world is, like, Elmo, Dora the Explorer, Good job. We have a good job, you know, poster in the bathroom to encourage Sophia when she goes potty. So I don't think so, God. Like, how am I going to be able to relate to these kids and what they're doing? I was like, sorry, God. I'm not going to do it. And God just kept knocking. Hello, it's me. I need you to do this. I'm not going to do it, God. I mean, and then at the same time, too, I was trying to finish up my master's degree. And God was just like, and I was like, I don't have time. I barely have time to eat and breathe and sleep. And God's like, hello, it's me again. I need you to do this. And I was like, I felt so inadequate. But you know what? I showed up, finally. <laughs> God's like, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not really asking you. I'm telling you. You got it? Okay. Now that we're on the same page. And that's how it was with Moses, right? He came up with this reason. Like, I don't, I... Like, you know, I'm not eloquent with words, and I, I fumble when I talk, and I don't know, I don't have good posture in front of people, and oh my gosh. And God's like, I, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. And Moses just kept coming up with these reasons, and finally God just was, he got mad at Moses. He wanted to backhand Moses. Spiritual term, backhand. But that's how the Holy Spirit is with us. Kind of how Zeke had to blow the whistle a good couple of times with Tamara when she's freaking out. Because a lot of times when God calls us to something, right, the Holy Spirit is whispering, he's knocking on our door saying, I need you to do this. And we're like, no, 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 no. He has to blow the whistle and say, get your butt in the game. You need to do this. Be a player. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in there. And I know it's scary. Yesterday at the women's retreat, we had a woman speak, Peggy Stapleton. Oh, got it. Okay. First service, I botched her name. She has this incredible organization slash ministry that is heaven-bent on breaking the sex trafficking here. Inland Empire is like one of the most horrendous offenders in that area. There, this is a huge gateway here that we have. The truck stops, Pomona. We live in Ontario, actually, and like, like 
Two streets down is Holt. Ton of sex trafficking that goes on. Well, this lady, Peggy, told her story. She spoke, and she was a... she had this idyllic life, and then her husband, she watched her husband die before her, and everything just went to hell in a handbasket. And then she got into the pest control business. She wasn't the one answering the phone, though. Or take, she was, like, crawling under houses. She was the one out there killing the bugs, and she did that for seven years. And then God, through the Holy Spirit, came knocking said, I need you to do this for me. I need you to step out and speak up for these girls that have no voice. These girls that are being imprisoned by the sex trade. I need you to step up. And at first she was like, God, I'm a pest control lady. I kill bugs and spiders and cockroaches. I know how to lay down a good perimeter around your house, but I don't know anything about this. But you know what she did? She stepped out. She was faithful. And she just, she shared a little bit of her story. It was crazy. One of the stories was how she, God told her to to send an email out to all the mayors and said, I just want to be a good neighbor and I want to talk about this this area, you know, this, this sex trafficking and how we can shore it up and how we can prevent this. So she did a cold email out to all these people, all these mayors. Only one mayor responded back. I mean, that takes a lot of guts to be like, okay, I'm going to do this. You don't know me. I don't know you, but I'm going to step out. And time after time after time after time, she would do this. God would be like, get on a plane and go to D.C. You're going to meet with these people. You're going to meet with these legislators. She's like, I don't know these legislators. I don't. Who am I? But she did it. She got on the plane. Um, this one time, she, she was talking about how she, there was this group of pastors. God put it on their heart to rent an airplane, and they would sprinkle oil out of the airplane over this. They'd fly over the Inland Empire and pray over it and sprinkle oil on it to break the bonds of poverty, that mentality, sex trafficking, break the bonds. And so this one time, they're like, guess what? You're coming with us this time. She's like, I don't like heights, and I don't do airplanes. So, But they're like, you're, God said, you're coming. So she gets in the airplane, and she was, I think, at the end of doing pest control stuff. We're done with it by this point. So the ironic thing is she gets in there, and they had the pumps that, you know, you use in pest control to spray the thing. They had that. That's what they were dispensing the oil out of. But the guys were like, we don't know how to, how do you do this? She's like, well, you got to prime it first. So she's like, God had a sense of humor. But she got on that plane, and she started pumping the oil out and praying. She closed her eyes when she was doing it. (laughs) But she said the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in that plane was palpable because she dared to step out. She's like, I was a pet. I, this is what I did. I crawled under houses. I crawled into attics. And here I am proclaiming God's glory over the Inland Empire. And God, she just tells these story about how she just kept doing this stuff. And now there's a filmmaker that followed them around. And God opened doors. God would be like, go meet with this mayor who she'd never met before. And she'd be like, hi, my name's Peggy, and I'd like to talk to you about this problem. It's in your city. God just blew doors open. Um, she, she went to the district attorney and had a meeting with him. And he's like, get this woman whatever she needs. Whatever resources she needs, get it to her. God just kept opening doors because she was obedient to listening to the Holy Spirit. And so here's my point. When we are spirit-led, that's why having a conception, a right conception of the Holy Spirit is so important. When we think of the Holy Spirit as God's good juju or the good vibrations from God or this innocent puff of smoke, that's nothing powerful. But when we conceive of the Holy Spirit as being God Almighty, 
Remember last week we went over how the Holy Spirit gets to decide what gifts and abilities we get? He gets to determine that. So when we have a right conception of the Holy Spirit, our life is different. We lived life on a different plane. Peggy went from just being this pest lady to hearing the Holy Spirit loud and clear and being obedient. And her life changed drastically. They're now, they made a documentary on the work that they're doing. It's now nominated for an Emmy, which is awesome because it'll, it'll just bring an amazing group of potential new sponsors and people that want to get involved with this, breaking this horrible thing. I mean, wow. And she was talking about how she couldn't have in her wildest dreams thought down the road, this is what God had in mind for me. Can I have the band and the ushers come up, please? And so here's my point. I know last week I asked you guys to try and spend five minutes a day, in addition to your regular devotional time, listening to the Holy Spirit. Just saying, Holy Spirit, what do you have to say to me? I'm listening. I'm open. I tried doing it. I'll be honest, I did it. Let's see, there's seven days in a week, right? I think I probably did it for like five days out of the week. And I'll tell you what, I didn't get any earth-shadowing like, go do this, Mako. But I developed a sensitivity to hearing the Holy Spirit. It was like the Holy Spirit just got amplified. And so here's my challenge for you guys for this week. In what areas is the Holy Spirit saying, trust me, step out in faith. Be like a Peggy. Maybe you're like, okay, Mako, that's great. That's a great pep talk. But that's not me. That's not my life. Well, Peggy said the same thing. She's like, I didn't think I'd be doing what I'm doing. She is spearheading legislation. She's meeting with senators and congresspeople. Wow. What does God, how does the Holy Spirit want to use you? When we're more sensitive to the Spirit, God can use us to do greater things. And maybe you're like, well, Mako, I'm just X. I'm just a student. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a whatever. Who cares? Who cares? What does God want to use you for? And how can you yield to the Holy Spirit more? So here's my challenge for you this week. This week, I encourage you, spend five minutes in addition to your regular devotional time and say, Holy Spirit, what would you, how do you want me to change the world? Can you imagine if each one of us was that sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit was like, and I'm with you guys. I'm not, I'm not as brave as Peggy. <laughs> I'm not there yet. Can you imagine, though, if the Holy Spirit was like, I want you to go talk to this person, and then that person tends, turns out to be like a senator. I mean, you, you just, your mind can just spiral the possibilities. If we stepped out, though, and we said, yes, Lord, Yes, Holy Spirit, have your way. We could turn, just think about it, you could turn your work upside down, you could turn your city upside down, you could turn your family upside down. And I think the Holy Spirit just wants that access. He wants, he wants us to yield and tap out and go, okay, <laughs> like the MMA fighters, okay, you win, you win. I tap out, you win, I yield. There is so much that needs to be done, and it can only be done by you, and that's not a cliche. If a pest woman, a pest control woman, <laughs> who's used to slinking around, is being used by God to change a, a, a cultural, horrible phenomena, how can God use you? So my challenge is this week, you ask God, you ask the Holy Spirit, how would you like to use me? Be sensitive to that. And I would love to get your stories. Call the church office or send me an email. God wants to use us. There's work we got to get done. And there's work that only you can get done. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. God's called us to something. It can be scary, yes. But when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, 
who is para, alongside us, carrying us, fighting for us, defending us, we got nothing to lose. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you do in our hearts and that you love us so tenderly, so passionately. God, I pray that we would be yielded to you this week, that we would hear you differently. Holy Spirit, we say, come, fall on us. We want to yield to you because there is no greater joy than to being yielded to your work and your will. God, we give back to you out of thankfulness, out of joy, to say thank you for first giving to us. We love you so much, and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for doing your redeeming work in our hearts, the transformative work. We love you. Amen.